So if I told you, I'm a vegetarian, and we went to have lunch at a restaurant, you might be a little uncertain about my commitment to my vegetarianism if I suggested that we go to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse for lunch. You might even be a little more skeptical if I ordered prime rib, rare. And if upon arrival of said slab of meat at the table, I began gulping it down without hesitation, you might even venture a question or two to clarify, such as, didn't you say you are a vegetarian? Or do you know what it means to be a vegetarian? When we claim an identity for ourselves, that usually suggests that we have chosen to align our thoughts, our words, and our actions with the philosophy or the practice or the person that that identity represents. And if we claim this identity publicly, openly, share it, that generally means that we want to be identified with that philosophy or practice or person. In addition, people to whom we've proclaimed this identity will expect us to live in a way that matches that identity. Even further, if I told you I am a vegetarian and you didn't know much about vegetarians, you would probably watch my actions to see what it means to be one. So after our lunch at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, you would probably believe that vegetarians eat meat, or at least beef, at least at lunch. In our series on the Apostles' Creed, we have come now to this place where we claim Jesus Christ as our Lord. To voluntarily choose to proclaim someone Lord, my Lord, is a profound and powerful statement about our relationship to that person. Giving someone that title, Lord, is not messing around. There are some who will claim that Jesus is a great teacher or a great guide of some sort, but we claim Jesus as our Lord. That identity commits us to following Jesus utterly and completely over any other person or interest. And if we proclaim this identity publicly, people who know about Jesus will expect us to live appropriately, and those who don't really know that much about Jesus will assume that our actions will be representative of Jesus. So it's good that we are taking some time to reflect on what it means to proclaim Jesus as our Lord, because our understanding ought to guide our words and our actions. And I believe that what we see in the scriptures is that claiming Jesus as our Lord commits us to following him in the way of love, not power. 
Considering the other candidates for the title Lord at the time of Jesus, it is astonishing that Jesus was ever acknowledged as Lord. Originally, the title was given to Yahweh, the one God who created the heavens and the earth, the God of the covenant people Israel. Even though God had revealed that name, Yahweh, to Moses as God's name, most people so highly revered, even feared God, that they would not even speak that name or read it aloud. So they substituted the name Adonai whenever the name for God came up in the Hebrew scriptures. Adonai translates into English, the Lord. God of the angel armies and the heavenly hosts was originally the one given the title, the Lord, by God's people. In addition, officially and legally in the Roman Empire, the emperor claimed the title Lord. And as subjects of Roman occupation, Jesus' disciples were legally required to give their full allegiance to the emperor. To call Jesus their Lord was to risk capital punishment, being killed at the hands of the empire. And yet with all of that weight, already loaded onto the title Lord, Jesus' disciples claimed this title for Jesus. They experienced in Jesus God in flesh and blood, the fullness of Yahweh, the Lord, embodied. And no matter what the emperor demanded, the disciples gave their full allegiance to Jesus. Doing so committed them to a way of life entirely opposite of the way of the empire. The way of the empire was the way of power and control. Historically, the Roman Empire became known for a, a kind of peace, the Pax Romana. But that only came about through violent overthrow and brutal suppression of dissent. Religions were allowed in some ways to flourish until they threatened allegiance to the empire and then the leaders were killed and any followers who wouldn't get in line. Jesus revealed an entirely new way of leading and following of being Lord and having servants. We hear this in the gospel passage. Jesus knew that the Father, God, Yahweh, had put all things under his power, that he had control of everything, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew he had the ultimate power of any being in the world. So, it says in the beginning of verse 4, so, so what did he do? Did he demand his followers to kneel before him and bow? Did he demand 
them to, uh, to go around the table and say something nice about him and his, his term of office. No, not at all. He got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of his disciples, drying them with the very towel that he was wearing around himself. That was such a disgusting, menial job that Hebrew slaves could not even be forced to perform that act of washing somebody's, their, their masters, their uh, Lord's feet. And here is the Lord, our Lord, doing this for his followers. And he makes his point unequivocally, unequivocally clear. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord. And he says, and rightly so. That is what I am. He's acknowledging that he is their Lord. But then he goes on, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, you aren't greater than me. No servant is greater than their master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Again, this is someone who knows that all power has been given to him. And yet he chooses the way of love, humility, and service. And we hear in that prophecy from Isaiah that this has always been God's vision for the way of the Lord. Through, through uh, Isaiah, uh, God gives a vision of this future Lord. Take a good look at my servant, the one I'm backing to a hill. He's the one I chose. I couldn't be more pleased with him. I've bathed him with my spirit, my life. He'll set everything right among the nations. So he is Lord of all. This is what God desires for the whole world. He won't call attention to what he does with loud speeches or gaudy parades. Think about the contrast of this with what we've seen over the last several years in our own country. He won't brush aside the bruised and hurt. He won't disregard the small and significant, but he'll steadily and firmly set things right. God's will has always been to care for those in need, to lift up those pushed down, and to provide for those in want until there are no more that are in those situations. He won't tire out and quit. He won't stop until he's finished his work to set things right on earth. Even the far-flung ocean islands are waiting in expectation. This is the way that Jesus Christ himself lived and 
for those who identify Jesus as Lord, this is the way he wants us to live. Paul, again, makes it very clear. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, any tenderness or compassion, then be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. And it's because it is us following the way of Jesus Christ. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, having all power, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. One translation has it, uh, something to be, um, to be used for his benefit. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being found in appearance as a human. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And that's when, out of that, God raised him up, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and have in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Have the same attitude, Paul says to us. It is absolutely essential in this moment in time in our country to understand that identifying Jesus as our Lord commits our allegiance to Jesus and to no one else and nothing else above him. And that means following the way of our Lord Jesus, not the way of power pride and control, but the way of love, humility, and service. Far too many of those in the United States who claim to be Christians do not follow the way of Christ. They put politicians or political party or patriotism above Christ through their words and their actions. As one example, Time Magazine just published an article by Andrew Whitehead and Samuel Perry on the threat of Christian nationalism in the U.S. They define Christian nationalism as a, a political theology that fuses American identity with an ultra-conservative strain of Christianity, a political theology that co-opts Christian narratives and symbolism. But this Christianity is something more than the orthodox Christianity of ancient creeds, like the one we have, the Apostles' Creed, in which we say Jesus are, is our Lord. It is more of, they call it, an ethnic Christianism. They go on to note that, uh, well, they go on to note what the major problem with this Christian nationalism is. They point out on January 6th, 2021, insurrectionists stormed the U.S. Capitol. Christian flags, crosses on t-shirts, 
Jesus saves signs and prayers for victory in Jesus's name were now famously conspicuous among the mob, a mob that beat and even killed other human beings with the the symbols of Jesus Christ on themselves. People beating other human beings with, with flagpoles and an event that, that other human beings were violently beaten and killed. And they go on to mention how the, the significance of this Christian nationalism is that it baptizes a quest for power and privilege in the public sphere and in its most extreme form, it legitimizes the type of violence that we saw on January 6th. That is not the way of Jesus, the Lord, our Christ. As another example, it recently came out that HarperCollins Christian Publishing was planning on releasing what they called the God Bless the USA Bible. The cover of the Bible would have a U.S. flag on it. On the Bible, the holy word of God, the cover would be a U.S. flag. It would include in among the holy scriptures the quote-unquote founding documents of the U.S. Included in those documents would be the Pledge of Allegiance. That alone conflicts with aligning ourselves with Jesus as Lord. We pledge allegiance not to the flag or any flag, but to Christ and Christ alone. In a rejoinder to the ideas uh, motivating this Christian nationalist Bible, several prominent Christians wrote an article that included these profound reminders for those who claim Christ as our Lord. They wrote, If we are to be good Christians, we may not always be the best Americans. For Christians, our loyalty is to Jesus. That is who we pledge allegiance to. As the old hymn goes, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Our hope is not in the donkey of the Democrats or the elephant of the GOP or even in America. Our hope is in the Lamb. The light of the world is not America, it is Christ. To claim Jesus is our Lord is a profound commitment that supersedes all other commitments. As Cornelius Plantinga, the president and professor of systematic theology at Calvin Theological Seminary puts it, When we say Jesus is Lord, we are talking about God's greatest reversal. And we are saying that we trust not only Jesus, but also his program of dying and rising. We trust his redemptive program in which self-expenditure leads to life and not just to burnout. 
We trust that in his death, Jesus absorbed the world's evil into himself and cut the loop of vengeance that has wrecked human life down the ages. We trust that in his resurrection, Jesus led out all the captives of the world. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. That is, take on self-denial and trust that you won't be a fool to do it. Take on humility and trust that humility is actually a sign of strength. Take on the form of a servant and trust that real flourishing consists in causing others to flourish. When we identify ourselves as Christians, may our actions reveal a true understanding of who Christ is and what it means to identify him as our Lord. Amen.